Hello and welcome to Prophetic Voices, Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation, and I'm so glad you could join us. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing the Easter Sunday lectionary. Our lovely guests this week are the Reverend Canon Debilo Skinner, who is a third-generation Chinese-American living in Silicon Valley, the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of California, and is a general convention deputy. Her clergy career spans 27 years, serving in large and small churches in California, Long Island, and Massachusetts. She owns a tuxedo cat named Oreo and loves jazz, ragtime, choral music, and Broadway musicals. Before becoming a priest, she was a systems engineer for Lockheed Martin for 24 years. And last but not least, the very Reverend Eric Matoyer, who serves as regional dean for San Francisco in the Diocese of California. He also is active as a board trustee for Cathedral School for Boys, Episcopal Community Services, Corporator for Linden Institute, and is a frequent speaker on multicultural issues in the church. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much for being guests on Prophetic Voices. I know our listeners love to hear your wisdom and thoughts as we talk about Easter Sunday this year. What do you think is important to keep in mind this Easter? What's rocking me this Easter is... We are in the beauty of Lent, of our reflective time into the glory of resurrection, at a very touchy, divisive, let's say prickly moment, not only in our secular world, but also in the church. Mm -hmm. A lot of transitions. Um, Our diocese went through a bishop election. Many dioceses are going through bishop elections. We are going to, the bishops will elect a new presiding bishop. Our churches are different than they were four years ago, and some of them are still acting as if uh, either they are still in shutdown or wondering what happened to everyone. And yet this is resurrection. I think what uh, occurs to me at this moment, um, as we're recording this, there was a big victory parade in Kansas City, and some Mm. guy came in and uh, shot up a bunch of people one of whom is uh, actually was known by uh, a friend of mine, the uh, Reverend Dr. Don Compier, who's dean of the Bishop Kemper School of Religion out in Kansas City. And mm. so when you put a name to things, I mean, we've seen the uh, horrible uh, death toll of the war in Gaza and can't even think about how many people have been destroyed in the continuing war in Ukraine not not to mention at least the verbal warfare that's going on on our airwaves because of the coming election. And so there's a lot of death. There's a lot of grieving. There's a lot of anxiety, uh, much of which is being provoked in order to help some political cause or another. So how do we keep holding on to the hope and the light and the promise of a resurrection being just around the corner. And uh, so that's been uh, really uh, apparent in my mind right now. Hmm. Do you have any liturgical suggestions for Easter Sunday service? During the seven years I served on Long Island, I have never really seen the, uh, the wonderful little ritual where you get a chicken wire covered wooden cross Mm. and the kids coming in and poking in flowers. And I thought that was charming and it does get the children engaged how it actually makes an impression on them that we're talking about, you know, besides springtime that it has something to do with Jesus. I'm not sure. Although the Easter egg hunt always sort of does it for a lot of people. Um, And so I think those little rituals for a lot of people for at least a couple of generations in my former church meant that, oh, yeah, it's Easter because we have the flower cross and we've got the Easter eggs and uh, and we get to sing uh, happy songs. So I think uh, an original question you had had about how to treat how to preach social justice on Easter I think a lot of people who only show up for Christmas Eve and Easter don't want to hear it. So that's the, uh, that's the uh, kind of the sort of Damocles, as it were. You feel that you need to, pro- to pro- uh, proclaim 
because this is a time when you might have one of your bigger congregations, and yet the bigger congregation that comes kind of don't want to be have a downer of a realistic sermon instead of like Jesus. Jesus showed up and uh, was resurrected, and we're all happy. And let's go find Easter eggs and eat some chocolate bunnies. <laughs> I used to be one of those people that was very cranky about the Christmas and Easter Christians, uh. and would say, and would even say from the pulpit, "God forgive me." So nice of you to come today. We're still open next week and the week after. We'd love to see you. And I'm realizing, but here's the thing, coming into, so three years ago, I was in a parish, arrived during COVID and was trying to think of what to do during Easter because in San Francisco County, we were still shut down. And it was Easter, we couldn't be in the churches, we couldn't be inside, but we had a big courtyard. So I thought of every wonky tradition of Easter that we could have in the courtyard and said, Easter's online, and we're going to go and meet in the courtyard after for those who are brave enough and do something. So we had an Easter brunch outside amongst all the, on the lawn pitted with gopher holes, children running around chasing Easter eggs, peeps, love my marshmallow peeps, especially when you bite the head off. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd thought of flowering the cross. I always liked that one from my old parish, St. Luke's, um, all this stuff that brought people together and reminded them that resurrection did happen. And for the Chris, and I realized that's when I need to lay off the Christmas and Easter Christians because they showed up. And what was interesting mm. was to see how many people didn't show up, but they did because they were seeking something. And that is, for me, what I want to hold on as this is like a funeral and a wedding. This is our chance to preach gospel truth to people who may not otherwise receive it. And they chose to be there. And Ken and Debbie, you brought up this, you know, how do we get our social justice message in there to people who may not want to hear it because of joy, but we've got a chance to give it to them. So why not just lay it on them? And maybe the softening is whatever we say about gospel truth, about a Jesus who is friend to the dominant and to the minority, to the marginalized and to the mainstream, um, we share that message and they still get to eat their Cadbury eggs. <laughs> a thought comes to mind, though, that even if we sort of squeeze in a little social justice stuff that maybe before people rush off and uh, do their or as they're doing the kids are doing the Easter egg hunt and all that, you could do a short thing just at the beginning of coffee hour where maybe we're putting together um, uh, packets of of something for Easter to give out to the homeless. Uh, you know, it, and it could include the stuff that you usually want to put in an agape bag. If you mm. Google agape bag and you could put in, you know, clean socks, um, uh, hand sanitizer, granola bars, uh, stuff like that. But maybe even throw in a Cadbury egg or something like that and just say that we're either going to give it to the local uh, uh, open cathedral that we have here in San Francisco at the UN Plaza that's run by the um, uh, the San Francisco Night Ministry, or we could drop it off at, uh, uh, you know, if you know of a place nearby, like the overhead of a, a freeway overpass or something, and there are a lot of homeless people there, and to just say, you know, we send you love, and we share Easter joy, and here are these bags. But I mean, something to do that's tangible I think then when people kind of feel like, oh, well, you're just guilting me, like, okay, so if you feel a little guilted, let's put, let's do something that's constructive. And it may not be putting together an agape bag. It may be taking a special collection and have people bring in a canned good for, for Easter or something so that it seems like we're not helpless. We're doing something. Mm. I always like, 
uh, the last few years I've been doing the like Orthodox tradition where I dye the red Easter eggs and then you bless them. And at the end, you know, as people leave, I give them an Easter egg and say Christ is risen or Christos Honesty or whatever. Um, and that's kind of been fun. That's excellent. All the little reminders of where we, of, I love all these suggestions, all these reminders of what it is of this moment. Easter comes once a year, but it is this moment that is resurrection. Mm. and that resurre- and how that resurrection affects each one of us will be different, but it's still reminding us that we have entered a moment of resurrection. That's great. What is something that you wish was resurrected? I would say a sense of openness about one's walk with God. It feels like, especially around Easter, when everything is so tradition and hidebound, in so many ways that you kind of go through the drill. And then instead of thinking um, like uh, if you just had a Curcio or uh, maybe you've been away from the church for a while, whether you're CNE Christian or not, and then you decide it's Easter, I'm going to come to church. And then to just feel this wonder and this awe of hearing the music and feeling the sense of joy and gemutigkeit uh, and uh, uh just fellowship, especially if you've been, you know, isolated for so long because of COVID or something like that. But to just get that resurrected sense of feeling again in wonder of creation and God and just people being happy together, uh, that would be wonderful, I think. This is the message. Here is the learned rabbi who was crucified for speaking out, chosen by the temple authorities to have a message silenced with the Romans as the patsies. This was on Good Friday. And three days later, the women made it to the tomb and saw and saw and and didn't see him. well, we haven't uh right, we haven't John, they see him, but they don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Who sees him are the women. Who sees the 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 whole story is one of counterculture and insurrection and f- leading us to a new world of God, and I get to compact this all in an Easter sermon, but to bring it out as who were the people who were the most faithful who were there, and I and I probably bored the folks that where I used to serve because I always turned back to. The women came to the tomb and found it empty, whether whether they came because um, they were going to pr- provide the spices or they were wondering or the fact that they were the ones who were there at the very end. Let's, uh, let's celebrate that, that the people who were on the outside were the ones who were there and became the insiders because they were the first witnesses. And to get that message out, um, I love doing that. I was struck in the John version of the resurrection story that it's just Mary Magdalene who shows up. She was the woman that Jesus said, those who uh, who are without sin throw the first stone. Uh, but the other part that struck me in rereading again, the Mary Magdalene being at the tomb, is that she's the only one who cried. I mean, you mm. see... Simon Peter show up and the other uh, uh, disciple keeps saying the other disciple, whether it's the beloved disciple, John or not, we don't, not sure, but Mary Magdalene shows up and then she cries. And, and a prominent story that happens before this is Jesus showing up late after his beloved friend, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and uh, mm-hmm. Martha of Bethany. Uh, he hangs out long enough so that when he shows up, Lazarus is in a tomb and then he cries. So the sense of um, the uh, the pathos, using the Greek word about pain, the pathos of being so human that you're moved to tears, and that uh, that I think that's really more of a human connection when we do have that emotional investment in the person that we care about. In this case, Mary Magdalene for Jesus. 
in the case of uh, the beloved disciple, and eventually with Peter, who says, you know, feed my sheep, and said, yeah, you know, I love you, Lord, and he said, yeah, but go, go feed my sheep, go tend my lambs, and all of that, but you know I love you. So I think that this, you can intellectualize, oh yeah, we're having a resurrection, but it's like, how does it really strike you? Does it move you to tears? Does it move you to grieve maybe that you didn't pay enough attention to this person who's now not with us. Hmm. Are you paying attention to now in the way that he's been transfigured into this person who's not the gardener, but the Rabuni? Are you feel, feeling moved enough to realize how you've changed? Because there's a change in Mary. She's not just, you know, the, the throwaway person and maybe in some of the other gospels, but she is considered in the Orthodox Church the uh, apostle of the apostles. She's the first evangelist. She goes to the tomb. She sees it's empty. She goes and runs and tells Simon Peter and the other disciples. So she's the one that kind of starts it off. And in the Orthodox tradition, she's very revered. Um, mm. So I think it, I think this whole deal, now whether it's because, oh, well, of course, she's a woman. And so that's why she cried. But uh, maybe that's what John did. <laughs> But I think there's something to be said when there's an emotional investment in our relationships. One of the things that I had was thinking about is how do we help folks who have experienced grief over this yes this last year and how do we connect them to, with the Easter story? And I think what you just said really can can touch on that. Um, where do you see resurrection in your community or in the world? A lot of my work over the past year plus has been working with um the church the church innovating community in the episcopal church with a shout out to my buddies in genesis too and in that of trying to find resurrection in our communities and what does resurrection look like in the current community where i'm serving for a couple of months in the community i was in for six months i'm a supply priest um is talking about a new resurrection. Their sense of resurrection is life returns to 2018 or 2019, or ideally mm. 1965, when churches were full, <laughs> families were five or six, church, you know, everything was full, 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 right? This blip was considered the norm. And saying, and just asking, what is resurrection to us in this new world? Because it is a new world. This post-COVID world is the acceleration of a, something that's been changing of how our society gets together. What does it look like when new people are in our churches, different people are in our churches? What does it look like when even we ourselves have been fully touched by the hand of God and turned into different people? What does that resurrection look like? Can there be resurrection that doesn't look like look like 2019? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Um, and and uh, thank you, Shaniqua, because I've been wrestling with this as I go to figure out my Easter sermon, <laughs> writing it about four weeks in advance instead of 48 hours. But that's what I'll be wrestling with: is is there a way we can picture resurrection without saying? I wish so-and-so came back, or I wish all these people came back. Because mm -hmm. in the church planner world, they're not coming back. But that doesn't mean the church stopped. Mm -hmm. The church continues. I think resurrection is a journey for each individual and each individual congregation. And mm -hmm. a lot of them can't envision resurrection until they get close to death. We have several congregations that have let us know, uh, there's four most recently that let us know that they only have enough money for another year or two at best. Oh, wow. And uh, out of a you know diocese of 72 congregations, of which 24 missions, to be honest. But I think the deal is in my work, when I uh, saved a dying uh, killer parish in, in Massachusetts, when people were willing to try something different was when they were so close to having the doors closed that they were willing to try anything. 
And in mm. trying different things, then I managed to stem uh, the downhill slide. I actually attracted maybe four, five, six new families and uh, a a gay couple that started attracting other uh, gay couples that they knew in the community. And that um, the resurgence there is that all of a sudden they started a food pantry where one hadn't been before. Um, they uh, became much more of an asset, community asset. Um, what I see now, there's one church that actually at one time, Eric was the uh, interim vicar at, uh, where they're down to like a half dozen people. And what they decided to do is do a pilgrimage. Um, the building is too big for them. And so what they decided to do is try worshiping in different churches in the San Francisco and Oakland area. And this is a, um, a historic black church. We have two historic black churches. So uh, this one in San Francisco, they were doing this pilgrimage thing. And they learned a lot about what it's like to be in a congregation that may be, okay, just a little bit bigger than themselves, but they got to experience liturgy in a different way. And so mm. that they were willing to be open to explore other things. The, the story is not ended yet with what's going to go, uh, go on with them um, and maybe where they might finally settle instead of being like wandering uh, wanderers in the desert all of the time, not being in one particular place. But the fact was that when it was down to that nub, that they decided to be open. And when I turned around the congregation that was in Massachusetts, what I kept saying, because they were worried about the doors closing, is that to preach hope and resurrection every single time. It's like God's not finished with you yet. There's still a chance to turn things around. There's, you know, uh, we can do things in the community. We can make a difference. And so that it, it didn't happen overnight, but it happened within about three years. But to just kind of hold on to hope. But I think that doesn't happen unless you get into the point where you're not riding on your laurels that, oh, yeah, our congregation mm -hmm. is still very big and we can just, you know, phone it in because it was successful at one time. And yeah, we're seeing declining numbers, but, you know, uh, we'll just keep doing what we're doing because it once was successful. I think it really is to try to be open, really open to whatever God is presenting to us, even if it's, we think we're seeing a gardener, but really God is saying, no, this is the, this is the resurrected Christ. Hmm. I was thinking about, as you were talking about transitions and at the beginning, you know, we were talking about transitions and resurrections and um, and this idea of, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to get close to death or die and then we can we can be resurrected in a different way. I know that's been my experience in some of my most difficult times in my life. But I also am thinking about how, like, when we're resurrected, we look different, right? Like Jesus, yeah. nobody recognizes Jesus. He looks different. And in Sunday, or when I've preached on it in the past, I talk about dandelions, like, dandelions when they're yellow versus when, you know, you blow on them and they're kind of gray or whatever color they are. And it's the same plant. But if you didn't see that or you didn't know that, you wouldn't know that it was the same plant necessarily, right? And maybe mm -hmm. that's true of Jesus and the same thing when we talk about what does something look like before or, or after. Why do you think that people might not recognize Jesus? He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> No, truly not recognize Jesus, um, that, which is really amazing because in the post-resurrection stories, he always seems to have this magic cloaking power mm -hmm. wherever he goes. Yeah. And the disciples, you know, I'm not sure which Marvel universe he's working in, but the disciples always seem to be in the other one until the very end. Then he's like, uh, thank you, I'll take a little bit of fish and put your hand in my side. Um being recognized is part of the Jesus story, right? He's always, we just had, um, for those, the more Protestant cast of our churches, which where I, where, where I lie sometimes, uh, Transfiguration Sunday was, we just had the last Sunday of Epiphany. Um, his, you know, always walking around saying, don't tell anyone what you saw. Who am I? Don't tell it. You know who I am, but don't tell anyone. So there's always that theme of Jesus is revealed. 
and that revealing that story of revealing is so crucial to the resurrection story for the folks who didn't for even his own most faithful didn't quite fully believe that he was that he would resurrect um either they heard it because they're hiding the in the in the room or they were the women who were present at his actual murder this doesn't make sense but that is all part of the revelation right the son of god is revealed amongst us but only through faith through absolute faith do we understand this and that we're, we are tuned into what he's saying that reminds me of a line of my spiritual teacher about what we see outside is really a facade and and even in the pejorative or the majorative way you might think of the word facade, but the way God really sees us, the who we really are inside is the essence of our soul, our being, uh, thinking of like even what uh, uh, Pierre Théard de Chardin said, that we are spiritual beings in a, in a physical body. And mm. that uh, when they don't recognize Jesus is because he is now the spiritual being the who he really is and always was all along, but they kept seeing the guy who was the wonder worker who fed 5,000 people who, uh, you know, spat in the ground, made mud and slapped it on a guy who was blind. So they were seeing this guy who was doing all of these wonder works and stripping all of that away to just this guy who's in front of them. That's going to be ascended. Uh, the ascension, uh, isn't like in the Luke story. The Ascension is pretty much in the John gospel story is, you know, Mary, don't hold on to me because I'm going to ascend to the father. So it's like, mm -hmm. see ya. So she's seeing the who he really is. And sometimes when we, uh, I'm always attuned to the fact that it seems like a lot of my ministry, especially when you're dealing with congregations that are fairly elderly, you do a lot of funerals mm -hmm. and you get people who come up who show up in church that hadn't been in church in a long time, but they always considered that that parish was their church. And so they went their funeral there. Right. Yes. Yeah, and yes. so what I'm always intrigued by is when people, uh, there are times when uh, I kind of make it open mic, which can be kind of dangerous when I make it open oh, yeah. mic and say, <laughs> you know, when two people maybe say, okay, I'll do the eulogy or they don't want to do the eulogy and then I'll make it open mic. And I said, does anybody else feel moved to say something about this person? And then you see all these different facets and uh, of this person because they said, Oh, mm. he was my boy scout leader, or she was the one that always uh, baked oatmeal cookies on my birthday or something. You see different aspects of people. So how, uh, you're seeing different parts of maybe you get a glimpse of who the real really our person was who passed away, but mostly too about how they're cherished, mm -hmm. how they're cherished. And we kind of hope when it's our time uh, that people will say nice things about us too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe see us for who we really are or not, mm -hmm. but you know. <laughs> My expression of funerals has always been meeting the most fatty, fascinating people I never met in person mm. because you hear their stories and you find out about the boy scout leader or he restored model T trucks or she wrote cookbooks on this or cookbooks and collected church cookbooks constantly. Just these amazing stories always come out there. And um, thinking about resurrection, um, what are we missing in our resurrection stories that we want to hear from the past? that will inform us about our future. What would, what is that one thing we'd want to, we'd want to do different? Um, mm. And thinking about it from a social justice, what is our hope of the better future that we get to share during Easter? And as I think about talking about resurrection, resurrection on this Easter and thinking where I will be, what is that story I want to share with them? Um, if it's the church I think I'm going, they are going to put up another um, se uh, tower for uh, senior housing. Hmm. They're going to start that. They rebuilt one. Very, uh, let's just say the congregation is very pale, but the congregation is deeply involved with the night ministry, with the interfaith council, with winter winter shelters. So they do a lot of social justice, or rather social justice 
ministry work in their lives. So what is the share, what is the story of encouraging that? Of where do you see your resurrection going forward? I'm thinking of something about the who we really are and from what Eric was saying that so much of those of us who are people of color the first thing that people see is our slanted eyes or our skin color or our our, our hairdo or something like that, uh, or maybe our outrageous dress, or something like that. And yet, who we really are, that God sees, that Jesus sees, is not always apparent unless people take the time to really get to know who we are and realize that Shaniqua has a really great sense of humor, uh, and he has a, a delightful laugh. But you don't kind of get to see that with people just automatically classify you by what you seem like on the outside. So the resurrected mm-hmm. self of who we really are inside, people don't always get to see unless it is our funeral or that they're really, really, really close soul friends. Um, you know, I, I, I think of that, that it's, it's just a shame that people, uh, you know, uh, I, I cop to, to doing that too. When you see somebody and you just make an automatic, uh, judgment about who they are, what they're about, and all that, instead of really trying to take a look at what the resurrected inner person really is. Have you, sometimes I've talked about it uh, in terms of like, what kind of ancestor do you want to be? And, you know, like, we're all going to be the ancestors that somebody else in the future generations will talk about. And they could think of it as individually or as a church, what kind of ancestor do you want to be? And that's kind of that same idea of what does your resurrection look like? What might have resurrected you look like? Has there ever been a time that you encountered the sacred or maybe where do you find Jesus where you don't expect Jesus to be? I'm still rolling on the ancestor part. And I think I can put, pull the two together. So um, I've been, I have been thinking a lot about ancestors. I did have that little piece in racial reconciliation, race and reconciliation newsletter. Um, so thinking about the ancestor who remembers the stories and shows up, trying to do that for members of my family, um, because there were, because looking back, see, seeing all those, the saints who went before us, who showed up when we didn't expect anyone would. Um, and where was Jesus in my time? Now, I'm sorry to say I haven't sensed him recently. Hmm. And, I've, and it's been something I've been mulling over. I've, I've got, you know, people have shared stories of seeing Jesus in their churches, next to them in pews, driving beside them, of course, the um, you know the footprints allegory. Not seeing Jesus much in my life now, but seeing a lot of the work we need to do for Jesus to return again, hmm. and especially looking at the arc our church and our society has made since George Floyd and, uh, and the murders of 2020, where it looked like there was a bright, shining moment, and then the hate returned. And we've been fighting seemingly a rearguard action since then, and how it's been so upped, as Debbie pointed out, of all the death and, and, and killings and murders since then on a larger, impersonal, national scale looking for Jesus at this moment and preaching Jesus at this moment will be sort of wrapped into that challenge on the lead up to Easter. So I know what I'm saying on Easter, but I still have three or four weekends still that I need, that I'm preaching on the way up and bringing all that into this Lenten moment. That's, that's where I'm hoping as I preach about preach about all these things, Jesus will show up. There are two incidents I could think of, especially when I felt I've encountered Jesus. Um, During my seminary uh, time, which was 20 
27 years ago. Uh, my spiritual director is uh, now the late uh, uh, Brother Thomas Schultz, who was a member of the Order of the Holy Cross. And uh, he was my spiritual director for five years. And there were times when I was with him, it wasn't so much what he said. It's just that he had lived by that time 30 years of being a monk and that his life was so imbued uh, by prayer, so informed by prayer, that there are times I felt like I was in the presence of Christ because he was mm. the embodiment of prayer writ large. Uh, the other time was when I was fairly early on in this Massachusetts congregation in a very blue-collar area, and this happened. I didn't will it or whatever, but as I was going down the rail and say, and putting the wafer in each person's hand, and I try to do um, a, a practice when I'm putting the wafer in somebody's hand, I try to look at their face, which mm -hmm. was something that we kind of did at CDSP because we didn't do it at kneeling at rails. We were seeing people, you know, on our right. eye level and we we're handing it. But as people were kneeling at the rail, I was saying, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the body of Christ. And as I went down fairly soon after I was starting going down this rail, it just struck me. This is Christ. This is Christ. This is Christ. Mm. They're all different incarnations, but this is Christ. I never had that experience again, but once in a while, I'll try to remember that. Yeah, this mm. is Christ and all the different incarnations. Um, and how awesome that really is, that Christ can be anywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. I used to love this show. Uh, you might have seen it before. Uh, Joan of Arcadia. It was only on for maybe one or two seasons. It was on CBS. Maybe it was 20 years ago. And it's this teenager that out of the blue, she's just a normal suburban kid. Her father's a cop. Her mother is an art teacher. And she starts seeing Jesus. Now, Jesus looks like the lunch lady in the cafeteria right. line once in a while he sh jesus shows up as um um the homeless guy that she bumps in the street but the jesus that talks to her is saying hey you know you've got to do such and such and she says why do i have to do it just trust me you got to do it and so each of the stories was when she stopped and she noticed that this person as unlikely as it was was jesus and she went to do whatever this Jesus said. She was tr somehow or another, there was something within her to trust to do it. And then she realized she made a difference in somebody's life. It's mm. not so much about she was an agent as much as she stopped. She noticed. She listened to what God or Christ was telling her. And she did something that was in accordance with the will of God. So I, I think of that as to where we can encounter Jesus if we just have, like uh, Mary Magdalene did, if you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, you can see this gardener guy who winds up being, oh, my gosh, it's the Lord, it's Rabuni. I think that's been my experience where I've, like, it's been the lunch lady or the person, you know, where I've seen him. The problem is I don't realize it at the time. It's usually like, you know, at least an hour later or sometimes even years later, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, you know, they usually have really profound things to say. I know for mm -hmm. me, it's been uh, another homeless person when I was homeless. It's been um, sometimes a teacher, sometimes a kid saying something or asking a question in church that just is like super profound. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's, and then it's something we don't always realize that when it happens. Who are you in the resurrection story? I think sometimes, or, or or who might you be in the resurrection story? I know it changes for me from year to year. I think it's easy to think that we're Mary Magdalene because she kind of comes off as the hero, right? Mm -hmm. But it occurs to me quite quickly after I thought of that is, well, that's too facile, as the French would say, that's too easy. But I think I'm one of the two angels that mm -hmm. are in there because the angels are messengers. And sometimes in my job of being canon to the ordinary, sometimes you have to give the bad news. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really sorry, but I think, you know, it's time for you to close because you're down to like your last 2000 bucks and five people who come to church. Uh, or sometimes it's um, 
I'm really sorry, uh, and I wish I had money to give you, but I don't have a discretionary fund, and I really can't help you. So sometimes mm. we wind up, even though we're wearing the collar and we think we'd like to think we're like the Marvel universe and we're wearing the cape and all of that, that sometimes uh, we wind up having to be the bearer of bad news or the bearer of news that people aren't going to accept anyway, even if it's kind of good news. Whoever is the most clueless person in the scene would probably be me. And I'm thinking of um, John when the two apostles show up and knowing something happened, but we're not sure what, and this does not look like the other. Mm. I love talking, talking and writing and preaching about Peter as the every person because there's so much of of how Simon the fisherman became Peter the rock upon which the church is built, but always tries hard and never quite gets it right the first time, but figures it out in the end, which is so much of our stories. Uh, sometimes we actually get a chance to correct our the O moments, as South mm. Park used to describe, or uh, no, Simpsons used to describe it. But um, we get a chance to. So uh, not, not so much the messenger, but something happened and I don't know what, and maybe I'll get it. And hopefully I'll get it in time before it's there. Peter is solid. You know, Peter, uh, Peter in Acts is not the Peter from the Gospels, right? Peter speaks mm. of sure, sure heart and mind and sets up the first communities and recognizes salvation is not for the Hebrew nation alone, but is for everyone after much painful conversion on his part. But um, that's an axe in the Gospels. He's faithful and loyal and part of the big three and still a little bit clueless. So if you ask where am I, I'm right there next to Peter. I feel like I'd be one of the disciples that Mary comes and tells the message to. And I, I, I don't know that I would believe her or not. I feel like I'd be like a trust, but ver verify. I might be like somewhere between Thomas and, you know, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like I'd be somewhere. And then sometimes, especially, you know, we, we've already recorded the Good Friday episode, but I also sometimes because, you know, I work for 815 or the DFMS, I always feel like, how am I like, the Sanhedrin or how am I like, you know, as a part of the institutional church, where am I in that? And what's my role in that? Uh, every year it kind of shifts, right? <laughs> I think that's a really good question, a point though. I mean, every time we talk about the roles of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the temple authorities, we're the ones in the black blouses with the white collars and all the fancy robes on Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I spent, you know, when I was in my year of wilderness, I was having a hard time with that because we are the institution that is calling for the revolution. Are we now, you know, being, which in socialist world, you know, the institutionalized revolutionary party has such meaning. Um, are we part of that? When And when we talk about salvation, can we truly lead people to salvation while we're still wearing all the all the fancy duds? And this is mm -hmm. part of the revolution of the church, the reformation of the church, rather, that's happening right now. Where are we sitting as clergy, especially to pro fully complain, proclaim the gospel into this new world, proclaim a resurrection of Christ, uh, Christ born, crucified, and risen again? And with salvation, and with salvation, and hope in coming for all, in this contentious time. So, what tips do you have for preaching Easter Sunday? And I'll say two that I was thinking of. One was like when you think about the resurrection. I was thinking of incorporating some sort of, you know, that you could think about resurrection also in terms of like transgender folks. They have, you know, lose they lose, they often refer to it as their dead name, the name that was given to them and they have a new name. Then I was thinking about how Jesus's name changed. You know, you have like Jesus and then she calls them Rabuni and then Christ, there's name changes. And I know in Lakota culture, we also 
have if somebody does something like you have your Lakota name you're given and then if you do something significantly different your name also then can change and they'll give you a new name and so just thinking about that kind of as a resurrection idea I don't, I don't know if that's what I'm going to around but that was one idea I think I'm going to go back to saying about Easter being <clears throat> allow yourself to be surprised hmm. that um, just even thinking about the 2022 election where everybody was predicting all the pundits were predicting the big red tsunami and that it turned out to be not the tsunami. Uh, that certainly surprised the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. The uh, We had three good solid candidates to be our uh, next bishop, uh, Bishop nine of the diocese of California. And the one that I really, really, really wanted the one who's biracial, he won. And it was like, I was shocked and a half because it seemed like there was such a campaign among some uh, portions of our electorate that were trying to orchestrate things so that their person, Mm. their white person got elected. And the fact that against all odds, we're now going to have a, Bishop Austin Rios. And it was like, who'd have thunk? And so mm-hmm. maybe the for me, Easter will be who'd have thunk. Nice. Surprise and wonder is for resurrection. And surprise and wonder also for everyone who shows up. One of the interesting things of being permanent supply is everybody's new. So I have no idea who are the Christmas and Easter people. (laughs) I come in just glad to see you. And some things that used to make uh, other parishes cranky, I do now on a regular basis of, you know, now that we're, you know, I start out, welcome to church. Welcome to St. George's. Welcome to St. Swithin's. Welcome to Grace. And then you know, your everything found for salvation is found in your is found in your in the Bible, as we all know, but also in your bulletin, so you can follow along, <laughs> and just keep welcoming welcoming people as if it was their first time in the church. Uh, and I'm still going to say it for the last time, peeps and Cadbury eggs. I'm still trying to figure out how to bring a Cadbury egg up, and I recognize some some people may not know the Cadbury egg is from an English chocolatier named Cadbury that has this cream-filled chocolate egg. So instead of biting off the ear and there's nothing, you bite into the egg and all this lovely, uh, horrible, horribly lovely gooeyness that comes on, comes down that your nutritionist would tell you, don't ever touch this again. It's sort of neon yellow. (laughs) And the neon yellow of the peeps, exactly. Not found in nature, except at Three Mile Island. So if you want, you could bring in the the basket. Yes. There you go. Cousin, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to bring a basket onto St. Mark's and just. <laughs> basket of eggs. Bless it. And as people are leaving, you can hand them each a Cadbury egg. That's right. <laughs> Nesty, here's your Cadbury egg. Or maybe they want to peep instead. I'll keep the peeps on the side. If okay. if 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 all if all the if the little ones don't snag them first. <laughs> maybe another theme to preach on too is a new day dawning. Mm. Because Easter happens. It starts in the darkness if you're doing the mm-hmm. vigil or, or if you're you're not even doing that. But I mean, you know, we're still in daylight savings time or we will have started daylight savings time. So you're waking in the waking up in the dark anyway. Uh, and then. The regularity and the faithfulness we have that dawn will lead into a day. It's not like it's one of those dystopian uh Shows that seem to be populating all of uh, all of the streaming services, uh, where the future looks really dire. Uh, but that usually a dawn means that it's going to be a sunny day, unless you're facing a nor'easter or an atmospheric river. But I mean, you're kind of hoping that it's going to be a sunny day, 
And uh, part of the Easter tradition, and I belong to Grace Cathedral, is, my, is the wonderful glory of all of the liturgical music. But sometimes, you know, the kitty service that you could do where everybody's singing, rise and shine and sing God the glory, glory, rise and shine and sing God the glory, glory, rise and shine and bring God the glory, glory, children of the Lord, you know, something like that. To try to get people kind of revved up, you know, instead mm -hmm. of like, oh, we're being very solemn, it's Easter, you know. I had this idea um, that I it was more for the Easter vigil, but my, my little church that I serve doesn't want to do Easter vigil. They want to do Easter Sunday this year. Last year did a vigil. But if we were going to do vigil, I had this idea because they have lots of kids, was to find like children's versions of those Old Testament readings that you do um, at the beginning of Easter vigil. I was like, we want, I want the little children's version of those so I could like read to them. Um, I thought the adults would like it too. They tend to like that. But yeah. Well, thank you so much for being willing to be guests on the podcast and for sharing your wisdom and ideas and stories. Um, I appreciate it. And I know our listeners do too. Thank you so much. May God shine upon you with loads of Cadbury eggs and peeps. Yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Shaniqua. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, friends. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Debbie and Eric. Thanks also to our production team, especially Chris and Asma. If you experienced resurrection in your life, please rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. That's it for this season of Prophetic Voices. We look forward to more conversations soon. Until next time, let your light shine. For 100 years, the generous donations of Episcopalians and supporters to the Good Friday offering have helped the Christian presence in the land of the Holy One to be a vital and effective force for peace and understanding among all of God's children. A lifeline of hope in times of genuine need in years past, the Good Friday offering continues to support churches, medical programs, and schools today. Now, more than ever, we celebrate the centennial of this historic fund. Your support is needed. Give online at iam.ec slash goodfridayoffering or text GFO to 91999. Good Friday Offering, celebrating a century of gifts and rejoicing in 2,000 years of good news.